Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. Uh, New Amsterdam Radio starts now. What's going on, citizens? Blue Boys here, the mayor. I want to thank each and every single one of you, as always, for making this show part of your podcasting diet. But a lot of new listeners have uh, reached out to me at New Amsterdam on Instagram and at New underscore Amsterdam on that Twitter. And they go, why are you the mayor? What what kind of corrupt government has instilled you as the head official? Uh, just a little bit of a reprimer here. New Amsterdam Radio is a flagship show of New Amsterdam Entertainment. And New Amsterdam started off as a theoretical, but in my heart and mind, an actual city for creatives. Imagine a place where everyone who has an idea in their mind and some drive in their heart can achieve, can own the uh, intellectual property, and that be real property, that sort of thing. It's a metaphor is what I'm getting at. And I, at the top of the tallest building uh, in the mayor's office, get to hang with people who are doing the dang thing. Before I get to today's guests, I want to say this episode is brought to you part by SeatGeek. You know, when I get myself in tune with my local city, or this case right here in Los Angeles, I use SeatGeek to get myself the best seats for sporting events, concerts, and more. Use promo code FLOBITO. That's F-L-O-B-I-T-O for $20 off your first order. SeatGeek, FLOBITO is the code. Use it. So my guest, Kristen Joy Lavin, is like myself uh, a writer of memoirs, but her memoir really goes a bit deeper about the familial dynamic. The, the book is called The Butterfly Promise, and it really goes through her experiences and her trials and tribulations. Has she had a chance to read the book? I enjoyed it, uh, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And it's always cool to sit with an author to see what was going through their mind and their heart when they were coming up with the chapters they wanted to transcribe. So you're going to enjoy that talk right now. New episodes are available Thursdays. Tell a friend about the show. And now it's time for my chat with Chris and Joy Lavin. Welcome back to New Am Sam Radio, the podcast for creatives. It is I, the mayor, Flopo Voice, in the mayor's office. Chat with people who are doing the thing. If you guys are listening to my podcast, you know I've droned on and on about my memoir, Graduation Day, but my guest today actually wrote one that's actually better because it talks about her personal life and her journey and what she's learned from that. Please welcome Kristen Joy Lavin, author of the book, The Butterfly Promise. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know what? I know you're busy writing and busy showing everyone the, the awesomeness that is the Butterfly Prompt. We're going to get into that brass tacks uh, in just a minute. But the top question I always ask my guests is, what is your favorite junk food? Tough question. <gasps> Ooh. Um, well, if I was going for something sweet, I would go for ice cream. If I was going for something savory, pizza. Oh, great. And your, favorite, <laughs> your favorite topping of a pizza? Or just... I love, you know what, there's like in, in New York, we have the grandma slice, which is like yeah. the fresh like tomatoes and cheese and it's crispy and it's a square slice and it's so delicious. If you come to New York, you have to get that. I don't know if they have it other places. I, I've never actually seen it anywhere else. You have to like explain it to them. Like grandma slice, what do you mean? <laughs> you gotta yeah, be like, exactly. 
Uh, so, so anyway, we're, we're talking about the Butterfly Promise, which what really caught my attention was that it was a memoir, but it was a memoir with a through line um, and, and really through your experiences with your grandmother. And I wanted to ask you off the top because writing a memoir is always a challenge. But what was it like tackling a project of this kind of magnitude? You know, it was challenging, um, but I always wanted to write a book. I knew I, I think I knew I had a book in me and I always loved to write ever since I was younger. So I guess, you know, the opportunity arose where this came up and someone said to me, you should journal. This is going to be like, this could be a great book for you. And so I really just got excited at the notion that I was writing something that was very personal, true, but also, yeah, it was difficult because there was a lot of personal um, personal moments that I was a little hesitant to share with the public, but it was, it was a journey and it was like a fantastic journey at that. I, I loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. You, you had said that uh, you want to put your story on paper, but why now? A lot of times people say about that and they wait till they're old and gray or they wait until something catastrophic happens. What made you say at this point in time, you're ready to write a book? You know, I think after the death of my grandmother and the promise she had made me, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit too, but I think I really felt that I was looking for, I was kind of soul searching, you know, I was grieving and I was wondering about afterlife. So when I started discovering certain things, I said, you know, I think I could write a story that could help other people. Mm -hmm. So I think that was somewhat compelling for me. I think the motivation behind it was like, I, you know, I can have a story to share with other people that are feeling a sense of loss and grief and we could all feel connected. And I think that was like kind of one of my motivations behind doing it um, because I think it's really important to have connections with other people that, I mean, why else are we here? Right. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You can, we can say there's a couple of months we're all in our little boxes looking at screens. And I think that was our, our big reminder about the importance of connection. Uh, the, the original promise, uh, the butterfly promise, if you will, uh, I don't want to speak for you there. Can I actually go into detail there? But when that was made, what was the first feeling you experienced when you were told <laughs> of the promise of the butterfly? So yeah, my grandmother, just for the, a little bit of backdrop, my grandmother was, on her deathbed in in a sense. Um, And she was dying almost. And I just felt like, how am I gonna live without this person? She was my kindred spirit. So when I was kind of consoling her, she was consoling me and she said, I just said, how am I ever gonna live without you? And she said, what makes you think we'll ever be apart? You know, so, she was making this promise of sending me a butterfly from the afterlife. And at the time of that, I think I just thought, huh, that's, is that a thing? That's, that's strange. I've never heard of that before. And I didn't really know the significance of butterflies and dragonflies and all these mystical images that, um, from the afterlife that people, um, see or promise or, you know, use in communication. So I, I think I, didn't really make much sense of it until later on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I, to me, I can, I try to put myself in that situation, that position, like, you know, trying to experience what, how I would react if relative told me that. And I came up with like a dozen different ways of how I would respond to it. Kind of like, you know, incredulousness or upset or like sad or like happy or just relieved. Like I would have cried right there. Like it, <laughs> it is, it is, it's interesting how we deal with, well, eventually the grief of a passing relatives, but like the decline. Right. Uh, if you are lucky enough to see, uh, and I say lucky, but I mean, like sometimes death can happen suddenly. But if when you are experiencing the decline of a relative, to me, it could be uh, a lot hard too. What was it like on your end, uh, experiencing that, understanding that days are long, but years are short uh, with your relative? Yeah. I mean, I think it's when you're really super close with someone, it makes it that much harder because you can't imagine your life without someone and watching the decline of someone that you love is always so sad. But my grandmother was also old. So I knew that it was inevitable, like she wasn't going to live forever. But I think when you're younger, you kind of feel like, oh, everyone lives forever and everything's, you know, until you have that first death experience. And then you realize how precious life is and how quickly time goes. And yeah, days are precious, years are precious. And you just wish for more time with that person. During the course of your memoir, I'm sure there were uh, an infinite number of stories you wanted to include. And, and some made the cut and some did not. What was the process in determining what stories had the most significance for you? Things you wanted to save for another book if you were going to write that? What was that like process like? Um, so... You know, I didn't know really where to start because I didn't have writing experience. I wasn't a literary major or, you know, I had taken literature classes in school and probably even some writing classes, but I didn't really know where to begin. And I think I was walking around the city and it must have been divine intervention <laughs> because <laughs> I saw this like brochure for the Gotham Writers um, Workshops and I looked it up online and I decided to join a workshop. So I, I knew I ha wanted to write a memoir. So I actually uh, took these classes. And what you did was you came, you know, you showed up as a group. I think there was probably like around 10 people. And the instructor would give you like assignments and how to, how to you know, get your best memories, get them onto the page, start with a story, start with a chapter. And what we would all do is we would go meet every week and bring in our chapters and all share them together and then critique them. And Ooh. I think it was, a yeah, it, it was, it was intense. I mean, cause I had to critique nine other people and then I was getting nine critiques from other people. So, and everybody has different opinions and, but it was such a rewarding um, collaborative experience. And I feel like it helped me because it was my first book and my first writing experience, it helped me kind of get some confidence behind me. I think there's, you know, nothing better than having an F, you know, a joint effort with someone else that you can like get feedback and, and tell and somebody gently says, well, that's not great, but I love that. So that was like yeah. a very, a really good experience. And I do highly recommend like taking either workshops or if you, if, if someone doesn't have any experience, it's a great way to start. What's that like, though? 
uh, you know, your first book uh, to put everything on paper, it takes a lot of energy and, and, and even someone is being respectful with your criticism. It must be like, you don't understand my life, bro. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what was that like in the workshops day to day, week to week? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, everyone was very kind. I have to say, like we were all kind towards one another because we knew these were our babies in a sense. We were all, it was precious, you know? So yeah. I think everybody was, you know, kind. And if it didn't work out and if it was a collective, you know, collective opinion, I mean, if five people are telling you this doesn't work so much, try it this way, then you kind of have to take it, you know, and take it as constructive con criticism and not just as, you know, vindictive or, you know, whatever. So I, I feel like um, I went in there kind of with an open mind and open heart. And I did leave there with, with um, just like a very good experience and, and more confidence than when I, when I came in. So I think, you know, just, it just and it kept me writing too because when yeah. someone gives you an assignment oh you have to come back next week with your next chapter it, there was a little pressure too so instead of just saying oh i'll just write whenever i feel like it and then a book takes you know seven years to write so i think it was uh having a little homework assignment was was good <laughs> yeah a little bit of a structure a, a way to be yourself but a little bit of structure always is, is good yeah i was doing the comedy thing well i still am but like there are times where i would pay for like daytime comedy classes and people are like why would you do that i was like well because from tuesday between 11 and 1 30 i have to do stuff for this class and it made you go you know you can't wait on inspiration because sometimes inspiration needs to be mine which is pretty cool yeah and you got to hone your craft as well right I mean, hopefully. <laughs> you got worse, Lobo. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, I, hope, I hope I did. It was cool. It was you get to work with other people, and then someone says something, and you go, oh, I wasn't even thinking about that, and then you have new material. Like, In fact, uh, one of my best act-outs from my last album, uh, American For Now, came from a drill we had in class. And I was like, oh, I would never have thought of this on my own, but having the prompt was enough to put me over the edge. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah, create a collaboration. It does work if you aren't super sensitive like I am. So <laughs> the, the release of the book comes out and it, unlike fiction, where you can hand out a couple copies of some friends or family and go, hey, we get time, read it. There's actual real names and real situations in there. What was that like? Did people get offended? Did people say, hey, I didn't really see that side of you before. Why didn't you tell me this? What was that like on the release of the book? So I made sure that I cleared it with anyone that was in the book that I was going to use their real names and I wanted them to be supportive of the story and read it and not offend anyone, obviously, or have someone, you know, um, say they were unhappy with that or, and I wanted to also, you know, our own truth is our own truth. So it's all, it's all kind of the way you see things and maybe you're, someone you're writing about doesn't see that the same. I mean, that's what, your own personal viewpoints are all about but everyone was really good everybody uh no one was you know i i, I did change two or three names in the book just to to protect the innocent <laughs> um <laughs> but otherwise everything else everyone's real names are there all the stories are true and everybody was great you know i and i don't i you know i don't think i wrote anything that was offensive to anyone i think you know, in the back of my mind, the story was all about helping people and communicating and trying to get the point across that, you know, love is eternal, we're all connected. And 
um, you know, we all feel the same things, even though grief feels really lonely, Yeah. but it shouldn't be because we all go through it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with the release of my book, Graduation Day, uh, that I had a chapter about my weight loss, just backstory. I lost 175 pounds uh, doing something. I thought that was the hardest for me to write. Uh, it, it, I, I danced around it. I said, I'm not I'm not a weight loss guru. This is how I did it. Uh, I, I mulled and mulled and mulled and I did it. Uh, and I wrote that chapter. And the last chapter of the book uh, was the Italian job where I got lost in Italy on a job. And I was out in the Italian countryside, totally like bewildered of how to navigate through it. I thought for sure on the release of that book that people would gravitate towards the more the weight loss chapter. But people love the fact this ugly American was lost halfway across the world. So the question I have for you is that you have a chapter where you thought that, hey, maybe this might be something that people would enjoy more, but a, a chapter that you kind of wrote end up being the one people talk about more, or do people enjoy your book as a whole? Ooh, okay, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think there's, yes, I think when you're writing a book, there's there's definitely chapters you enjoy writing more than others, for sure, because maybe they're happier or they're more, they have an adventurous side to them. And that's always fun to write and relive. Um, and then there's like, in my book, there's, you know, there's happy chapters. And then there's obviously like there's sad chapters because it is sort of about, you know, about someone dying. So um but one, you know, a lot of people said to me they love the chapter about the sea monkeys. And so I, 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 the reason why I wrote it was because I wanted to show that someone in the book wasn't as perfect as I thought she was. So I included that chapter to show that she wasn't perfect. And that, cause she did something to me when I was younger and it wound up like a lot of people related to that. I think, you know, they thought it was funny because it was the sea monkeys. And for those of you that don't know anything about, it, it was like this very popular thing years ago where you would buy these dried up shrimp and pour them in a, like <laughs> a bowl of water. Or in my case, yeah. I think I had the tank. And so, and then you walk, you feed them and they turn into these little things that float around and they're actually shrimp. But, uh, so th that was like a kind of a, a little bit of a flashback to when I was younger and this, you know, this thing that happened. So that was one of the chapters I, I, people like, you know, really enjoyed. And, um, and also the, the, uh, the chapter about my cat loving asparagus and me trying to, um, experiment with, is he reincarnated or not? People told me they like that one as well. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. Funny thing about sea monkeys, when I, when I was a kid, I was in the Archie comics and I'll see the, the ads in those. And I'm like, I wouldn't get that. But when the cartoon or the Saturday morning show came out and I, the, the amazing sea monkeys, there were a family that lived underneath the ocean. And you're like, wow, <laughs> you get one of those. And they're like, yeah, they're shrimp. They don't really talk, Flobo. What are you talking about? Right. It was like, a, it, it's like today's Spongebob, right? <laughs> right. They're just hanging out to get into adventures. Like, I want some sea monkeys. Yeah. Uh, but yeah it, it's always cool when you create something and it takes life of its own. With, with, with art, everyone brings their own interpretation to it. So it's always cool to see what they're into. And uh, I will definitely take a look uh, at how many ways of my friend's pets can be reincarnated. 
<laughs> uh, taking it one step further, though, the Butterfly Promise actually has an audiobook component. Um, what was the decision like to, to creating that? I mean, I know a lot of authors think about doing an audiobook. Uh, it's a personal story. Was that more? Was that also difficult to get that done by voice? What was that like? Oh, that was a very intense experience. I I thought writing a book would be one thing. And then obviously publishing a book was a whole other thing. And then the, the third component of producing an audio book, because I produced it myself and narrated it myself, was like crazy. It was it was something that was an unexpected um something really hard, but also something really rewarding that I didn't expect to do. Um, so, I, cause you know what, I was, I think I was just like reading some statistics that audiobooks were on the rise. And especially when, when authors read it themselves. And I feel like when you read it yourself, there's nothing like it because every little feeling, every nuance every emotion the way you intended the reader to read it you're going to portray that through your voice so mm -hmm. i felt like it was a no-brainer i had also um had some like acting and and uh experience i had taken classes and i did a couple little things years ago so i i kind of was like oh now's my chance i could like act out my book now like you know <laughs> The other thing didn't work out, but this can, you know, so that was kind of the other thing behind it. So, um, but I, you know, I, I had to do all the, the research and I had to find an engineer to um, work with me and record it. And then I had to obviously get like an editor and, you know, and just the whole experience. Have you ever done an audiobook before? I got scared. Uh, I was going to do, uh, have someone do it on my behalf uh, only because Okay, so the example, one of my favorite books of all time is Mark Echo's Unlabeled. And Mark Echo was a fashion designer. I mean, of a certain age, everyone had an Echo Unlimited shirt back in the day, back in the hood. Uh, and he reads a forward of his own book. And hearing the forward and hearing the actual book, I was like, yeah, I'm paying someone else to do it. <laughs> I, I can't do it. My voice sucks. Uh, it didn't work out. The quality wasn't good. So I kind of shelved it, which is why I'm interested in how it was for you. Because your audiobook sounds pretty much like professional grade. So. Yeah. I mean, I had to buy all the, you know, buy the professional mic and the headset and everything else. Um, and obviously I, I worked with a professional engineer. So we used like um, an engineering program to record it. So it was all like, I wanted it to be like professional and legit. And it was actually during COVID. So I, that that's how they were doing it. They were doing a lot of remote work at the time. So as long as I had the equipment and the, the Wi-Fi, I could do it remotely but it was it was it was a it was a fun experience because you know it's funny when you when you're reading your book even though you wrote it and you edited it a zillion times i'm sure you know this you are, you will make mistakes reading it so you can like mess up a word and what was supposed to say what you say when and so the engineer is reading with you along with you and he'll say wait back up, you said, you know, you said the wrong word here. And then you hear doot, 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 and then you start over again. So it, there's, there's this fast pace of adrenaline that has to keep you going when you're 
when you're um, reading it and recording it that, you know, like, oh, back up again. And, you know, and there was times that I had to do a line three or four times because I just kept messing up. I was like, you know, getting all tongue twisted. So it, it was fun, though. It was a really cool experience. And and reliving, like reading some of those happy things were funny and reading some of the sad things. I was like, all right, don't cry. Whatever you do, do not cry. <laughs> In the recording booth. Yeah, <laughs> so that was, uh, that was this? fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should be like immune to it by now. But, uh, you know, I, I try I tried to read it like the night before. So I was like, all right, just get all the emotion, you know, not all the emotion, but the, the real like, I didn't want to cry over the book, you know, so. <laughs> right. Do that before and after, uh, after studio time. I hear you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I broke uh, out the tissues. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was perusing your social media account uh, just because you know you're out there moving and shaking and painting the town red and all that and I saw you know how to skate uh, can you teach me because I had the worst balance on the planet. Oh my gosh! Do I all right? Do I know how to skate? Re watch those videos over. I don't know. I, I I look a little like shaky, but no. I used to skate when I was younger. I was obsessed with skating. I used to go every weekend. And then obviously maybe like I got a little into rollerblading outside, then I gave that up. And then I hadn't skated for years and I was like, I need to go again. I miss it so much and it's a thing now. It's like there's adult nights, you know, and you can go and there's like super cool music with the DJ and it was just so fun. So I've been trying to go like at least every once, every two or three weeks and it's been so fun. So yes. Well, if you fly here, we'll go for a lesson. <laughs> okay, cool. I got to make sure I don't like fall on my butt in different states. <laughs> <laughs> don't be ashamed to wear knee pads. <laughs> it's all oh, good. I'll, I'll wear two. I'll, wear, I'll double up. <laughs> double up. <laughs> yes, exactly. So when you have downtime or a day off, how else do you celebrate? Do you relax? Are you a book reader? Do you hang out with the boys? Do you go clubbing? Like what, what does Kristen do when there's nothing to be done? I... Mm, let's see. Um, I enjoy uh, exercising. I have another job. I'm in the natural products industry. So I work um, selling like organic beauty products and uh, vitamins and things like that. So I, I, I tend to live like a holistic type of life. And I'm always looking for the, the next greatest thing. I love clean beauty products. And I'm always like trying to cure myself and other people with like vitamins and things like that yeah, so yeah. i'm i'm definitely into that stuff you know um but uh yeah i just like i love to travel too so there's a there's some actually like there's like a fun one or two chapters in my book about going to hawaii and something really cool happens and about going to italy and kind of eating my way through italy because i was grieving i was eating and i was just like filling myself with food to kind of make the pain go away but it turned out to be like fun anyway because who doesn't love Italian food all over Italy so that was good <laughs> you walk so much I am like coming back with like losing weight it's like I ate so much bread how uh <laughs> I know I don't know how that happens we go there we eat tons of gelato pasta and bread and we come yeah. back like two or three four five pounds skinnier I don't know <laughs> yeah walk every way less preservatives uh we did mention the clean living sustainability which is pretty cool uh but I am a city boy and sometimes it seems to be a lot of uh, intimidating things that needs to be done in the path too. So I ask you this, if there's a step I can make today to just be a little bit closer to that clean living lifestyle, not all the craziness, just a little, little baby step, uh, what could Blobo do uh, that start today to be on a cleaner path? 
Um, you know, the one thing I always say is reduce your plastic usage. That I think that's a really easy step that a lot of people can do. Like just trying to eliminate like Ziploc bags and saran wraps and things like that, where you can, I have like some great little solutions. Like you, instead of like using a, a saran wrap over a bowl, you can use a pot cover and put it right over your bowl. And it does the same thing. Um, or you can buy like those silicone uh, zipper bags from uh, from like your favorite store and those are reusable and you could just wash them and use them over and over again and they seal great. They have little locks at the top. Those are amazing. And obviously refill your water bottle, like get a reusable, reusable water bottle. So like little steps like really do make a difference because the amount of plastic we're consuming and that are that's going in the ocean is just off the charts. And, you know, it, something really needs to be done. So every, every little thing will count. Yeah, that, I think that's the path uh, of, of righteousness, I guess. But, you know, sometimes you hear about what needs to be done. You go, well, I'm only one guy. I just go to work. I just, you know, I don't know what I could do. But I think uh, a pot cover, definitely something I could do. I could you can do, do it. That. You can do it. <laughs> that seems easy enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 before I get you out of here, there was something I saw on your bio. I just want some clarification on that you could help me out. Uh, I'm with the public school, so bear with me. Uh, what does it mean when you say high vibrations? How does that, what does it mean and how do you apply it to your lifestyle? Um, I feel like that means just, you know, overall positivity, uh, keeping your, your vibrations high means like, you know, being elevated in life, going you know, being engaged in life, being positive, being kind. Um, I think whatever we put out in the world, we get back. And I always found that, you know, when I put good things into the world, good, good things will happen to me. Ah, true words haven't been spoken. Uh, the Butterfly Promise, a memoir available now wherever fine books are sold. Chris, Joy Lava, thanks so much for being on the show. Now, this is what I have to ask you. If someone wanted to connect with you, buy a copy of the book, see if they can book you for events, how they go about doing that. Um, the book is always available. I always try to support independent booksellers. So you could always go into your bookstore and order one if they don't have it. But it's also available at different booksellers online, including Amazon. The audiobook is available on Audible, on Apple. Um, Spotify now has books. It's on Spotify now, too. So um, it's always around. And I'm on social media. My, my uh, Instagram is Kristen's Joy Ride. And I'm on Facebook, Kristen Joy Lavin. And I really do appreciate all the connections that we make. And uh, come and say hi. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W-Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. <laughs>